Hey, this is Rachel, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org slash youngadults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. We're going to read Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Then we're going to go to verse 9, and then skip to verse 15. This is the word of God. Now when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it, and keep it. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We invite your spirit to illuminate your word, to move in our hearts, and to move in our minds, that we would be renewed by your teaching, that we'd be renewed by your work, that we would not rely on ourselves and our efforts, but that we fully come under submission of you and your work. So, Spirit of God, do in us what only you can do. Rejuvenate us, refresh us, allow us to receive all that you have intended for us. May we submit ourselves, not just in body, but in spirit. Allow us to enjoy the feast you have prepared for us. And Lord, would you anoint my words for me to speak only what you will allow me to speak. For your word is good for your people. We love you, and we need you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I did a quick wardrobe change, if you all didn't notice. It's okay. It's a lot hotter in here than I thought, so I had to take off the jacket. Just if anyone was noticing, I guess no one did. It was just y'all in the back making a joke. It's okay. Uh, so if you were listening to Jade earlier, you'd know we just started uh, tonight a new sermon series called Kingdom Calling. And so the focus of this sermon series will be simple, uh, large in task, but simple in its endeavor. It's that we're hoping to help disciples of Jesus understand what the, work, what the role of work looks like in the life of a disciple. Because, and I'll understand, developing an understanding of work is a rather large task. I mean, there, you can go to any Barnes and Nobles or, you can go to, uh, and, and, or any christianbook.com and you're gonna see that there's hundreds of thousands of books on the topic of work, both from a secular and, 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 uh, and a religious standpoint. But our hope is to not re, for me to have read a ton of books and regurgitate it to you, um, but more we would hope is that the Spirit of God will confront the places in our hearts through this series where work has been twisted from anything less or more than what the Father's original design is for us. So this week, I'll just break it down for what the next couple weeks will look like. Tonight, we will focus on learning how we integrate work into our calling, into our identity. 
Next week, we'll have a guest preacher come and he'll go more in depth about how God has structured work and, and why, because of sin, it can often frustrate us. And then we'll finish this series discussing how to find rest in an ambitious world. So for those of you who are note takers, tonight's message is entitled, Priests in a Holy Garden. And now this might seem ambiguous or it might seem weird, I get it, but I hope that as we continue the rest of the evening, the guiding point, this imagery will be a guiding point for us to understanding what our calling is, what we're made to do, how we define work. And, and because we often let work define us, but the reality is scripture calls us to, to really defines our work for us, which allows it to be satisfying. Believe it or not, work is not an extension of the fall. It's not a result of the fall. It's not a, it's not a bad thing. Uh, mosquitoes, sure. <laughs> Cats, probably. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, that's right, that's right. It's okay, we can talk about this later. Uh, soy food, definitely, definitely part of the fall. And so, but work, work does not fall into the category of bad things. And it doesn't fall into the category of a fallen, of a fallen category. In, in reality, work is part of God's plan for human flourishing. It's part of the equation, right? Like, like it is meant for us and it is good for us and it's part of having a thriving life. And now some of you might hear me say this and be like, that is the dumbest thing Caesar could say. And I get it, I get it. Because many of us are living in a perpetual state of the Mondays, right? Like, like every day feels like this endless cycle of Monday dread where we need alarms for our alarms, right? You know exactly who you are. You're like, you need six alarms every four minutes to get up, like seven, 704, 708. And each one is like, get up, get up, get up, right? Like that's, each one is like that. And we're just hoping that we'll wake up in time to go to work. And then after work, we, we're, every time we get out of work, we're just longing for the weekend because we believe that, I don't know, life is only enjoyable when work is absent from it. But because work is usually pretty consuming, we take it home with us. And then we're even more exhausted when we get home. But we end up loving the idea of weekends more than the weekends themselves. You know, because like Saturday gets around and you're like, oh, but Monday is two days away. And then Sunday's there and you're like, Monday's tomorrow. And then your whole weekend becomes like this cacophony of anxiety, right? Like this is the workforce. Welcome, right? Like welcome to being an American worker. And though this is the life we live, this is not the vision God had for humanity. God did design work to be part of human flourishing. It was meant to be a good thing. Good, God had designed work to be a reminder of who we are and who he is. Work has always meant to be purposeful and satisfying to us. And you might be thinking, well, it's not for me. Well, we still got a couple minutes to discuss why not. We were made to work. Did y'all know that? Like, like, it's not just like a means to an end. Like, it's not something that we got thrown into, but it's something that we were meant for. Like, we were meant to work. And, and we'll see more about that in tonight's text. But even though we were made to work, it doesn't mean we find our core identity, bless you, in our work. But it's part of us experiencing joy because God created you and me to become co-laborers with him and where we, together, alongside God, create a world that's able to experience him. Now, I just wanna just imagine for a moment with you. Imagine a world where you're free to work without ever wondering if you will ever be enough. Hmm. 
or maybe for some of you who are a little bit on the younger scale, or imagine a world where your parents aren't bothering you to go to college because for them, they're trying to convince you that the only way you're gonna have any value is if you go to college and get a job and now you actually matter. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> or more just a little bit sky level, imagine a world where you were uniquely made to shape and mold it. Often we get the idea that the world shapes us, and it does seek to do that, but we were created to shape and mold it into an oasis of beauty and holiness. But because of sin, and we'll talk more about this next week, things go wrong. Humanity, instead of accepting that design plan for our lives, try to change the script that God wrote for us in order to us to write a better way, quote unquote. And ever since that moment, understanding work has become a headache. And it's not a theological, just a theological question. It's a, it's a cultural question. Like everybody seems to have an opinion on what work is or how we should feel about work or how we should work. I mean, some cultures will say that you should work until you drop dead. Others will ride and die on the idea that you should have a four-day work week. Others say that you're only happy when you work if you become your own bosses. Or others will say that work is only good if you give all your money away. But others will just say work is just that thing you do to distract yourself between happy moments. But if I were to ask you tonight, why do you work? Do you work just for money? It's okay to that's your answer. Or do you work for retirement? Are you working to buy a new phone or a new car or to finally prove to your parents that you can be an artist and make music uh, and make money? Or are you, for those of you who maybe have families or helping out your family, are you working to provide for them? Or maybe you're working for status and power and you just don't want to say it out loud, but it's kind of what's in your heart anyway. Because really, most of our responses will be around this topic of money and power and status and security and purpose. But the core reality of why we work usually is I work for me. I'm the central reason why I work. Even if it's for an altruistic reason like providing for my family, I work so that everyone else, including my family, thinks that I'm competent and responsible. I just work for me. And when this obsession becomes part, uh, becomes the center of our work. When we become the center of our work, it begins to thwart and twist our identity because this is how God designed it to be. A core part of us comes from the work that we do. We want our work to matter so that we can convince others and ourselves that we matter and we're perpetually terrified that at the end of it all, nothing will ever matter at all. Anybody feel that way sometimes? I know I have. And God's original design for us, yes, was to be co-workers with him. And we've opted out of that so we can become our bo own bosses. And we end up usually in one of three places. One of the first places that, we, that people work endlessly to make sure that they have a secure financial life and they finally get to the 40s or 50s and 60s and they look back at the course of their life and they regret everything they've ever done because they never actually enjoyed anything they ever did. And then others endlessly work so that they can make a name for themselves in order to have a place at the top of their company. And when they're finally there on top of their corporate tower, they recognize how lonely and miserable they are, which is why CEOs are one of the, the top of the list of professions with the highest suicide rates. 
And then finally, if not any of those two, you might be one of the people who just work tirelessly to avoid work altogether because you're like, I'm just another worker in the machine. Like, that's not even purposeful for me. So where are you in this spectrum? Are you just running in a hamster wheel, running and running, but still finding yourself in the same place? Or is your work so focused on you that you're willing to sacrifice all relationships to make sure that you get to the next part of your career? Or maybe you're working an entry-level job or at Starbucks and you're asking yourself, I mean, does anything I do even matter? I don't know. I don't know where you're coming at from, but what tonight I would like us to consider is that God is inviting you and me tonight to rediscover what work is. And in this rediscovering what work actually is, we'll learn more about who he created us to be and what we're called to do. And if you're sitting here tonight, whether you're a disciple of Jesus or you're not, it's okay. I just want us to consider something tonight. I want to consider a world where instead of tying our work to love of self, that instead we would tie our work, what it could look like if we tied our work to love of God and love of others. So in order for us to understand our work and our identity, there's no better place than for us to begin in the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. So let's turn again to our Bibles, Genesis chapter two. And I hope if any of you were here that you took my appeal seriously and read chapters one and two before tonight, but it's okay. If not, I'll walk us through. It's pretty simple. If you were to have read Genesis 1 and 2, you would think that there are two different creation stories, right? Because they look radically different. Um, but what's happening here is that Genesis 1 is telling the story, uh, is, is telling the story of creation, focusing on the intimate relationship between God and all of creation. But then that vantage point shifts in chapter 2, where instead of focusing on the relationship between God and all of creation, it's the intimate relationship between God and humanity. And God creates man and woman, and he instills purpose and vision into their lives and gives them work to do. So this is where we begin. This is where I hope we'll be able to start understanding what work is supposed to be and understand what the kind of work we were created to do. Verse five, when no bush of the land was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and then there was no man to work the ground. Verse six, and the mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils and the breath of life. And the man became a living creatures. So the author of Genesis shows us that there's this land in verse five that is not cultivated. It is not done yet. But this land was meant to bring up greenery, to spring up life. But there's a problem. There's no man to work it and there's no rain to water it. So there's no partnership here between God and man to create life in the land. And this land is known as Eden. You might be thinking, hold on. I thought the garden was Eden. And it's actually not. Verse eight tells us that the Lord God planted a garden, where? In Eden, right? So for all the little books that we've read or the picture books and veggie tales, the garden is not Eden, right? Like the, this is, Eden is this bigger land and there, God creates a garden inside of Eden. And the garden of Eden and the land of Eden look completely different. The garden is bountiful and beautiful and had trees that are attractive and it provides food for Adam and Eve to eat. But it says the rest of the land still needed people to work it so that it could produce life. 
And then verse 8 and 15 tells us that God then takes man and places him in the garden to work it and to keep it. Which is such an interesting thing, right? If the problem with Eden is that man is not there to work it and God is not there to water it, why in the world would God place man in a place that's already done? The garden's already done. It doesn't need somebody to cause life to be done. God already did it. What we can gather here is that while God put man in the garden, that was the beginning purpose, humanity, you and I, were never meant to stay in the garden. We have this wild idea that being saved is like a retirement plan, that you and I are saved to enter in to this promised land, this beautiful tapestry of no problems, of never having to work a day in our lives, but that's simply not true. God's original intent for humanity is that we would work, that we would go out of Eden, out of paradise, to make more of the land around. See, what God was showing was going to do was show Adam and Eve, the first humans, how they were meant to work outside of the garden by first teaching them what it means to be in the garden with God. I love how John Mark Comer in his book, Garden City, depicts Eden. He says this, because when you think of Eden, don't think of a, of a public park with a lawn and a play set and a flower bed or two where God hands Adam a lawnmower and says, will you just keep it tidy for me? No, no, instead think of a violent, untamed wilderness teeming with beauty, but no infrastructure, no roads, no bridges, no cities, no civilization. And God says, go, go and make a world. Adam wasn't some like maintenance worker, okay? Like he wasn't like there to like just take care of it, make sure that all the trees were cut perfectly and all the hedges were nice. And he made like little, you know, like how hedges have like animals, like they make into these things. Like that's not what, that's not what Adam was doing. Adam was an explorer. Adam would have been asked to be a cartographer, a, a gardener, a designer, an architect, a builder, an urban planner, a city maker. Work is meant to be fruitful, y'all, and free. Work is not tied to one career path. Like this is the invitation God is placing in front of us, whether you are a CEO of a company or whether you are working at Starbucks or McDonald's. Like God created men and women alike to work. And he provided all the steps necessary for us to do it. Because that is what work is meant to be. It's not where you're the boss. And it's not where I call the shots. It's when we work hand in hand with God because God delights the most when his children delight in the things that he created for him and I or for you and I to enjoy with him. So then what is work? Like I'm just talking about it. You're like, all right, Caesar, I'm glad you've kind of given this picture of, of, of the garden, but what is work? And I've written and rewritten this definition because I, I don't, I'm, I'm still working it out, to be honest. But I think Tim Keller uh, does a pretty good job at framing work for us. Work is, by his definition, and one that I think to this day right now is what I believe work to be, is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. You're like, wait, hold on. Caesar, that isn't in Genesis. Like God made Adam, 
okay? And he put him in the garden, sure, maybe to show him how to take care of the garden. But God doesn't say anywhere here that we're supposed to work for anybody else. I mean, I, it just really looks like Adam's working for himself and maybe for his lady friend Eve. Like, I'm just sure they're just trying to like work for each other and have a little bit of food, make a little bit of security deposit for the long run. Like, I think that's all they're supposed to do, right? No. Yes, work is meant to be good for individuals like you and I, but the goodness of work is not meant to make much of ourselves or to develop pride in the work of our hands. God created you and I as humans with the intention of our, all of our work to be outward focused. See, God in Genesis 1 does this thing. What does he do? He just creates. He just creates this beautiful world that we see before us. He creates this universe. And why does he do it? He doesn't need it. Like, let's be real. Have, have you seen the world lately? Do you think he needs this? <laughs> he doesn't need. He doesn't need the earth. He doesn't need Pluto. He, he doesn't need the Milky Way. He doesn't need the constellations. He doesn't need Andromeda. He doesn't need the sun and the rest of the stars and the moons. He doesn't need the Aurea Borealis. He doesn't need any of these things because God does not create out of need. He creates out of his goodness. You see, God is so full of all that is good. If you notice, at the end of every time he creates in chapter one, he says he created this, and what was the end of it? He saw that it was very what? Good. On the second day, he created, and he saw that it was good. And on the third day, and the fourth day, and the fifth day, and the sixth day, he says it was good. And on the sixth day, it was very good. So if somebody who is literally showing that all he does is create good things, you would imagine that the person creating it is pretty good at being good. And so he's a, an abundance of goodness and it flows out of him and spills out of him. So his very nature is to share his goodness, grace, and love. And then it says in verse 26 of chapter one, he says, God desired to make mankind in his image, both men and women, to be a reflection of him. So if he is a creative God and humans are meant to be reflective of him, what does that make you and I? It's not your question. It's, can you all say it? creative. We're creative. We're creative, okay, y'all? If he is a working God, that makes you and I a working people. If he is a loving God, we are a what? Loving people. Y'all are asleep. It's okay. If he creates for others to flourish and to thrive, then what are we to do? We are to do the exact same thing. And so what God is saying to Adam in the garden and what he's saying to you and I is this, is that for work to be everything that it was meant to be, it is not where you build your own kingdom, but instead that your work is tied to intimacy with God and to love your fellow image bearers. This idea of work being about intimacy and love isn't something that I'm saying because it sounds pretty or because like it has the word love in it or because I wanna make a kumbaya circle and talk about it. No, I'm not doing any of it for that reason because the reality is, is work is hard. Work ain't easy. Anybody work about, wake up at 5 a.m.? Bless you, I would never, like I would just quit. Like I have to be here at 5 a.m.? No, I'm not doing that. It's difficult to do the jobs that we do. Any nurses here? Bless you. You're married to her. That's not the same thing. One flesh don't mean that. <laughs> Any teachers? All right? 
my in-laws are here. My, 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 my father-in-law says he wakes up at 4.30 a.m. every day. Why? Do students even matter that much? You know what I'm saying? Like, gosh, I love that you do it, Jeff, but I pray for you, you know? And like love doesn't just make it easier, right? Like love doesn't just make it less difficult, but yet it is what we're created to do. And what I think will help us as a young adult community is for us to understand what we're created for, not just what we're created to do. Yes, we're created to work, but how do we do that? What is our purpose, really? Because it has to be more than work, right? Like, like if I were to tell you everything that you're here for this earth on is just to work, I mean, how would you feel? It would stink. Because work ain't fun half the time, and work doesn't pay good nearly half the time. So why are we even doing it? Let's look back at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So you might be asking, Caesar, are you asking me to be a gardener? No. Listen, that's not what I'm saying. Adam was instructed to keep and work the garden, right? Remember, God is showing Adam what it means to work. And the best way for us, for, for, for humanity to, to carry out the vision of God's work is to work it and keep it. And at face value, yes, I could see why you'd say, man, are you asking me to become a gardener? No, I'm not. But the Hebrew here is getting at something far deeper. Uh, the Hebrew word for work is avadah. You want to say that with me? Avadah. Avadah. It just sounds like one of the Harry Potter, like... <laughs> but it's not. It's, it's great. So the Greek word, the Hebrew word is avadah, which means to work. But when you look at the other places in scripture where this word is used in the Old Testament, it means to work, bless you, and it, you need allergy medicine. <laughs> it's okay. We're friends. I'm friends with Jeremy. It's okay. It means to work. But it means, I wasn't roasting anybody, stop it. I hear you back there. It means to work, and it means to worship. See, later in the Old Testament, you'll see that God instructs his people to create a temple in which his presence would reside. And that doesn't mean that God isn't everywhere at all times. He's omnipresent. But what it was meant to serve as is a physical sign that God was with his people. And the only people that were able to work in the temple were priests. So the priests would work and keep the temple as worship to God and as love for the brothers and sisters because it was at the temple where Israel would go and make sacrifices for the forgiveness of their sins, working for their brothers for the glory of God. So if the author of Genesis is using this word that we know to mean work and worship and, and that it's, it's used to describe the kind of work that Adam, that Adam is engaged in, but it's also used to describe the role that God gave to those who cared for his temple, then what we see here is that the Garden of Eden is not just a garden, it's a temple. And if the temple is meant to be cared for by priests, then what is Adam's role? Priest. Adam was a priest in a holy garden. Oh, the title of the message. So you're like, okay, I'm not supposed to become a gardener. Good, because I kill all my plants. Am I supposed to be a priest? Do I just like leave my job now and become some kind of like plant-loving religious worker? No, I mean, you can. You can if you want. Probably not satisfying for most of you. But the answer is no. 
Because again, the question is, what are we created for? This isn't about the job title. It's not about being a priest or being a gardener. God's not asking for you to give up your current job right now and go to churchstaffing.com and apply for all the open uh, church positions. But Adam's role as priest helps us understand what we're created for. The two functions of a priest were to worship God and to serve his people. That's exactly how I defined work before, remember? Loving God and loving neighbors is best expressed when we worship God and serve one another. So when we think about how do we work in a way that is fulfilling and satisfying and all the wondrous things that God intended it for be, we have to filter it through is our work both a worship to God and a service to others. So is that your job today? Like let's just take your job, whatever it might be, and let's filter it to these two things. Do you see your job as being an act of worship? And I don't mean like are you going and like evangelizing to everybody. Like, that's great, but that isn't what makes it worship. Like, are you working in such a way that requires God to show up in your workplace? Are you depending on him for strength and wisdom, or are you just mustering it up yourself? Are you asking him whether or not you should make certain business decisions and whether they're pleasing to him? How about this? Are you willing to work even if it goes completely unnoticed? Are you willing to be the best employee even if your name never goes up on employee of the month? Are you even willing to forego a promotion because God says that isn't for you? But what about service? Like, is your job an act of service? Or is it focused on just you and all about you? Or is it focused on how your job makes you look and how much money you can make yourself? Or is your job taking from others, or is it providing value to both those in and out of your workplace? Like, are you willing to give your best at work even though your coworker keeps stealing your lunch or keeps taking credit for your ideas? We all have that coworker, right? Y'all know who it is. It's like Andy. It's like Andy did it. See, when there is worship of God, but no service, our gospel message falls flat. When there's service of other, but no worship of God in our work, then we make an idol of people. And when there is neither worship of God or service of others, we become our own gods and we work for ourselves. But what happens when there's both? Have you ever thought about why the garden was so beautiful? The Eden was not. The garden was full. It was because the presence of God was there. It was, a, it was a special dwelling place because it was a temple. It was meant to be a prototype for what God wanted to continue to be manifested on earth and he was inviting humans into it. But the land of Eden was not yet cultivated, right? In a way that reflects God's beauty and splendor. But that's what worship and service does. When all of our work is filtered through service and of, of others and loving and worshiping of God, people are finally able to see how our work reveals the beauty of the kingdom of God. That when we serve one another and we love God through our work, they're able to experience the one thing that we crave, the love of God. And these things are not reserved for important people or for important jobs. Like, God in the garden was what? 
a gardener. Jesus in the gospels, what'd he do? Just a carpenter. These weren't like high lucrative jobs. Like to us, they'd be like the lowest of the totem pole. So therefore, there is no such thing as small work. So I want to let you guys know here, for those of you who are like maybe starting off in your job path or working an entry-level job, your work holds immense dignity because it was meant to change the world. There is no such thing as holy work and not holy work. There is no sacred or secular divide because we are priests. Like Adam and Eve, we've been invited to be priests in a holy garden in the holy world that, 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 that God resides in. And all the work that we do as disciples of Jesus is holy work. That's how I can say that if I were to quit my job here today, and go flip burgers at McDonald's, I would still be doing just as important of a job as the CEO of Chick-fil-A. Because the vision of work is not contingent on how hard we work or the job that we have, but is provided through God's love for his creation. But the world and the flesh and the devil are all seeking to move us away from this vision of kingdom work. Because the world will say, worship and serve me, and I'll make you powerful. Doesn't sound nice. The flesh says, worship me and serve me, and I'll make sure you feel like you matter. Not that you will be, but at least you'll feel it. The devil says, worship and serve me, like he did to Jesus in the desert. And he says, I'll make you king or queen over everything. The hard thing is that these temptations don't go away the longer you're with Jesus. It's actually there every step of the day and every way. It's like actually no surprise why we have so much celebrity culture. Because when anybody, any of us are good at anything, what do we do? We praise them. We give them a top platform, we give them a title, we give them TikTok followings and Instagram views and money endorsements and this and this and this and suddenly they've become kings or queens of a world they were never meant to rule. And then we do it to serve and love ourselves instead of giving glory to God and loving and serving one another. And then we become prideful and, sh- and, we, and, and we fall into a world full of pride, hubris, and shameless self-promoting. If you are here and you're viciously building up your kingdom at a cost of everyone around you, let me just ask you point blank, what's gonna be left for you to rule over? If you've worked so hard at the cost of everything and everyone, at best, your throne would stand atop a mountain of death and destruction. And this is not what's meant for the disciples of Jesus. We don't function on a cost analysis basis. We function on a worship and service basis. Cost analysis says, what's in this for me? While the gospel says, how can I be of the greatest service to everyone around me and yet still love God with all my heart, soul, and strength? And I could end here. But if I did that, I've just duped you all. Because I would just be asking you to give up one system for another. I'd just be asking you to change one behavior for another one that I think is better. Like, I'm just telling you, instead of doing selfish work, do more selfless work. Like, just worship and serve better. Love God better. Love people better. Do more. That only lasts so long because you can't. 
And so if I did that to you, I'd be enslaving you to the same problems as what living a life of selfishness looks like. I, too, to be honest, struggle with this whole concept. I am plagued by my own work and productivity. Even as a disciple of Jesus, I can often look for my worth, for, for my work to determine my worth. And it's not just my job here at Mosaic, like as a young adult director, it's like literally for the dumbest things, like finishing my book goal for the year or closing all the activity rings on my Apple Watch. Is, does anybody here know how many books I'm supposed to read this year? No, of course not. Like, why would you? But yet, I just finished reading a 360-page book. It's not a flex. Don't worry. It sucked, all of it, from like beginning to end because I, I, I literally, I gave it like a three on Goodreads, but it was really like a one-star book. I just wanted to be nice to the author because he was a Christian. And, but the, the, the book was horrible. It was terrible. But like I already started it. And like, I got to finish my book goal for the year. So I forced myself to finish it. Like literally each time I read it, I felt like my soul was leaving my body. It was terrible. <laughs> and my Apple Watch, no one knows when I complete it. And you know what? Even if you did, I bet you wouldn't care. Like no one's like, wow, that guy CrossFits. That guy has probably a really good body because he burned 800 calories today. No one would I think that. Maybe my wife, but that's it. <laughs> like, that's it. And I hope she does. But none of you would care. And so I, I even do this dumb thing where instead of putting my phone, my, my Apple Watch to charge in the evening when I'm in bed, like I'm literally non-active. I'm just laying there. I have it on my, on my wrist so that it can, I can, it can track the, the, the amount of calories I burn lying there so that the imaginary audience that I've created in my head would somehow care that I've closed all my fitness rings. Why? Why do we do this? Why do I do this? It's because somewhere in my heart, I've believed that the only way I matter is if I'm working so hard to be everyone around me. Because if I'm not first, then I'm last. Or as the genius words of Ricky Bobby from Talladega Night says, if you ain't first, you're last. <laughs> So if I were to just switch this system from a worldly view to a godly view where I serve as priest in God's garden, you know what I would end up doing? I'd work so hard to make sure that God thought I was a better priest than all of you. I read my Bible every night, 50 pages. I don't care if I gotta go to bed, I'm doing it. I'm waking up at 5 a.m. tomorrow because I gotta fast and pray and I gotta make sure I memorized all these 10 verses because I'm the better priest. And suddenly my, this work will become my identity. It, it, that's not the answer. It's helpful and it's good and it's directive for us as believers. But God created you and I for something far more beautiful than work and priesthood. It's part of us and part of our lives, but we're, it's not meant to be all of our lives. This is what First Peter says. Peter was an apostle of Jesus, what we at Mosaic like to call the knucklehead of the gospel. And many of you would agree, but he wrote these beautiful words in his epistle. Verse nine of chapter two, you don't have to go there, I'll read it for us, verses nine and 10. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, it says here, you were always meant to be a priest in the garden. You are a royal priesthood. But did you catch the more beautiful part? Once you were not a people, but now we are God's people. In other words, God is saying, before you were lost, and now you are found. Before you were orphans, and now you're my children. Before you were not, and now you are. I am your God, and you are my people. You see, God places Adam in the garden to show humanity that work at its core is meant to be about intimacy with God. He places Eve in the garden later as well to display that the vertical love that we experience with God is ultimately meant to be expressed horizontally with one another. Again, verse five says, the land was uncultivated. It was meant to be worked on by whom? By God and by humanity. But God, but Adam had to understand and what we have to understand is that what work looks like is working hand in hand in love with our Father. The only way for us to not become slaves to our jobs and to our work is if we remind ourselves of the truth that we do not work in order for God and for others to be pleased with us, but we work because we are sons and daughters of God. Yes, we were created to work as priests, but do you know what you were created to be? You were created to work and you were created for worship and service, but do you know what you were created to be? You were created to be a son and daughter of God who is a recipient of all of his goodness so that we would continually share that with one another. And when I am so tempted and when I am so tempted to measure my worth by my, by, and my value by my work, I can only think of the baptism of Jesus. You see this in Matthew and Mark, and Jesus, before he begins his mission, and before he begins his earthly ministry, God the Father looks at the Son and blesses him with these words. Do you know what they are? This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Before Christ could do any miracles, before he did any teachings, before he had tens of thousands of followers, the things that you and I chase for every day, before Jesus had any of those, the Father looked at him and said, I'm pleased with you. I wonder if that's what your heart yearns for today. It's what I want. I want to remember that God looks at me when I work hard, or when I fail to work hard. And he says, I'm pleased with you. That when I'm selfish, because I've built my own kingdom, he says, I still am pleased with you. That when I love people well and serve him well, he still says, I am pleased with you. So for those of you tonight who are here and you are trying to make a name for yourself, please rest in knowing that God has called you his beloved, he's pleased with you. 
And for those of you who go to bed wondering every night, will I finally be enough? God is enough and has made you enough. He's pleased with you. And for those of you who have been measuring yourselves by the measuring sticks of promotions and status and power, please, let those measuring sticks just fall and receive God's immeasurable love for you. He's pleased with you. And for those of you who feel like your job means nothing because the world doesn't see it as amazing, rest in knowing that God purposed your work to bring transformation to this world. He too is pleased with you. When we know that we are loved by God as sons and daughters, we can finally grab our Father by the hand and begin to work to our heart's joy and delight. That we will be able to worship Him and serve others. That we would be able to bring beauty to a broken world. That finally, just finally, we would become priests in a holy garden. Let's pray. Father, I repent in this moment for myself. Cannot repent for anyone else here, but I repent, Lord, and the witness of my community that all too often I remove my hand from yours so that I can go back to building my kingdom, that I seek to make much of myself even at the cost of the people I love the most around me. Father, would you forgive me and if there are those here who share that same sentiment, that same story, would you remind them that you too can forgive them? That your blood was shed for them? That your sacrifice was meant for their glory? Remind them that you too are pleased with them. Speak to their hearts tonight. If there are working jobs right now that do worship and no service, may they abandon it. Or seek to learn what it means to worship and serve in that job. And if there are those who are worshiping, I'm serving but not worshiping, Lord, I pray that they would see how much more beautiful it is when we do both. God, remind us that work does not define us. Even the title of priest does not define us. But at the core of who we are, we're not worker bees in a kingdom. We are sons and daughters in a family that is far larger than we could ever imagine. I love you, and I need you. We love you, and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use the message you just received and direct your heart completely towards Him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.